This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be back here again with you today. Great to catch up with people during the breakout group session. Why don't we go to God in prayer now as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for the opportunity once again to meet you in your word. And more importantly, to hear of the great works that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. So we pray whether we are young or old, uh, whether we are male, female, whether we are students or workers, that all of us here today uh, will really give our attention to your word because it is so important for us to listen to what Jesus has done for us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, how many of you have had someone uh, close to you disappoint you? How many of you have actually had someone who you thought was a friend uh, desert you? How many of you have actually had someone who you thought you could rely on actually let you down? Now, I thought it'd be really good uh, if we start off with a poll to see who actually has experienced that. So let me just launch the poll right now. It should come up right now before you. Do you see it in front of you? Is there a poll in front of you? If, you, if there's a poll, put out your thumb. Is there a poll? Any poll? Okay, there should be a poll there for you. So why don't you just uh, start filling out the poll now? Have you been deserted by a close friend, abandoned by someone close to you, let down by someone you trusted? Okay, so uh, just spend a moment filling it out. So this question obviously is relevant for everyone. I thought that I'll come up with a question which uh, even the school kids can uh, 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 actually reply to. So uh, yeah, that's really good. That's why so many people are replying and voting. So just quickly uh, fill out and then we will start off. Okay, cool. I'll share with you the poll results. So you can see that uh, actually many, many people have actually experienced being let down before by somebody who they thought was their friend and who could be trusted. And a few of you were abandoned and some of you were deserted. Now, it's quite sad really when this happens. You know, I want you to imagine the emotions that went through your heart and your mind, the thoughts that went through your heart and mind when that happened. Usually you feel bitter, let down, disappointed, and angry. But what's even worse is when this happens when you are in a great time of need. It's bad enough when someone deserts you or abandons you, but when that's actually happening in a time where you really, really, really need them, that's even worse. It's like a double whammy. And that's actually exactly what happened to Jesus as we look at the night before he was crucified. He was both deserted and at the very same time, it was at his time of greatest need. So let's look at what the Bible has to say. I'm going to actually uh, show you two Bibles, uh, so I'm going to see which one you find better. But let's look first at this uh, olive tree Bible that I have. So the first thing you notice here is that Jesus was actually uh, deserted right at his time of great need. And what does it actually say there? It says that they will fall away. So the first thing that I think is really important for us to notice here is the word will. Jesus didn't say they may fall away or they will probably fall away or they will possibly fall away, but you will fall away. There's great foreknowledge of what's going to happen in the future, a great 
preciseness of what's going to happen, you will definitely fall away. A great certainty of what the future holds for his disciples. He knows they will fall away. And how many of them will fall away? Well, the second thing we note is this word here. You will all fall away. Now, isn't that really sad? Because out of the, well, there were 12 disciples, Judas betrayed him. So there were 11 left. Out of the 11 remaining disciples, not even one disciple remained faithful and loyal to Jesus. So the first thing we notice is you will. The second thing we notice is you will all fall away. And the third thing we notice is this happens because it is God's will for them. It is written in the book of Zechariah chapter 13. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So we see here that Jesus foreknows what's going to happen, that all the disciples are going to desert him. And this is a certainty because it is God's written will for them. Now, as we look here in verse 29 to 28 to uh, 31, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now, it's quite interesting uh, because when you look at the, uh, apparently there were some people who uh, went to uh, the Middle East and they found out about this uh, uh, rooster's crowing, right? But uh, a bit of context first, a bit of background. So I've given you this PowerPoint, which is in front of you. So let's look at the context a bit now. So remember, they started the Passover meal, which is what we looked at last week. And that started about 6 p.m. And they've eaten their meal. It's probably about 10 p.m. now. And that's probably when they're having this conversation. And Jesus says, you will all fall away. You will all desert me. And this is about 10 uh, p.m. And then here, Peter and all the other disciples have said to Jesus, no, 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 we will never fall away. And Jesus says, by the time the crow or the rooster crows the second time, you will all fall away. You will deny me three times, Peter. Now, apparently, in the Middle East, uh, the rooster uh, actually does very irritatingly crow three times in the night. Okay? So, um, the crows at 12.30, it crows at 1.30, and it crows at 2.30. I don't know whether you've got sound, whether you can hear that. But I've, got the, I've got some sound for you, but it doesn't matter if you can't hear it. So, if you look at this, uh, uh, what Jesus is actually saying here, he's actually saying that by this time, the second crowing of 1.30, Peter would have denied Jesus three times. Now, that's really amazing when you think about it, because that's only how many hours away? It's only three and a half hours at the, at the most, at the least, really, from where the disciples are all saying to Jesus, we will never desert you. We will never abandon you. We will never let you down. And what this really shows is that Jesus has the foresight. Jesus has the foreknowledge of what is going to happen. And yet he willingly goes to the cross, even though the people are going 
to desert him. Now, I had a sad story where uh, when I was, a few years ago, I had a, a close friend who I'd known since uh, my school days. And in my great time of need, I remember talking to him on the telephone and we were on the phone and we had a good conversation. Then he says, oh, I've got to go for a business trip. Uh, I will give you a call when I come back in one week's time. So how long was it before my friend, uh, who I had known since my childhood, called me back in my time of need? Uh, he called me back one year later. Now, as a result, I was very hurt. I was very disappointed. And sadly, uh, we are no longer friends. But look at what Jesus does. Because Jesus actually encourages uh, his disciples by saying to them, if you look at the, uh, let me annotate it for you so that will be more helpful. He says in verse 28, okay, verse 28, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus' foreknowledge is not just for the next three and a half hours. Jesus' foreknowledge is even beyond his death to his resurrection. And he says to them, look, okay, you guys are going to disappoint me. Yes, you're going to desert me. You're going to abandon me. You're going to let me down. But when I rise again, I will go ahead of you into Galilee and we will come back together and we will regather and I will forgive you. We will all be together again. So verse 28 is for the comfort of the disciples, is for the encouragement of the disciples. It is to reassure the disciples that even as they desert Jesus, all of them desert Jesus. Jesus will rise again. He will come back, go ahead of them to Galilee, and they will all come back together. And that shows the difference between Jesus and myself, right? Because after my friend called me back one day later instead of one week, uh, we're not really friends anymore. But Jesus is saying, look, you guys all deserve me in my time of greatest need. But when we come back, we will all be together again. All will be forgiven. Now, why is this so important for us to know? Well, I think that what's really happening here is how we are to see that all will desert Jesus. Okay, so it's not desert as in eating dessert, but desert as in run away from Jesus. Okay, they're all running away from Jesus. But even so, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He will be betrayed. He will be deserted by the disciples. He will die on the cross. But he says, I will then rise and go ahead of you to Galilee where we will come together again and we will once again be in fellowship. Now, this is really amazing because it says several things about Jesus. It says that Jesus must be God because only someone like God can see the future in this way. Jesus is the obedient son of God who willingly suffers this betrayal by Judas and desertion by all the disciples in order to go to the cross. And only Jesus can forgive in this way where I can't even forgive my friend who didn't call me back after one one year, and, and Jesus is willing to, be, to, to forgive even the greatest uh, desertion. So here, we see that Jesus goes through desertion to go to the cross. Now, let's go back to what the Bible has to say to us. So let's look at verse uh, 32 to 30, 41. 
So let's look at the passage together. Uh, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible, that hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Then he came, when he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now I want you to look at this passage very, very clearly because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misconceptions that I have had concerning what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus now with his disciples has left Jerusalem and he's walking out of Jerusalem to this place called Gethsemane, which is basically an olive garden. And there he goes to pray. Now, I remember seeing this picture of Jesus uh, many years ago. I remember uh, this is painting of Jesus, and there he is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. What is wrong with this picture? Anybody know what's wrong with this picture? The problem is that this picture is not what is described in Mark for us. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, Jesus pictured here in this picture is serene, he's got no worries, he's like chill. But that's not what the real Jesus felt the night before he died. Instead, this is probably what Jesus was like. The Bible tells us, as we see here, that he was deeply distressed, that he felt awfully troubled, that he was deeply appalled. In fact, he felt sorrow to the point of death. This is what he was, he was praying with great emotion. He was not stoic, but he was human in every way. He felt this great fear, sorrow, distress, and appalled by what was going to happen. So in case uh, uh, you didn't really pay attention, I want, I want to ask you this question. So I'm going to do another poll. Okay? So the poll really is to find out if you a good reader of the Bible or not, because you know, if you don't read the Bible properly, then it's not very good, right? So I'm going to ask you this poll question. And the next poll question is, why was Jesus so sorrowful and troubled? Why was Jesus so sorrowful and troubled? Is it because he didn't want to die? Was it the pain of crucifixion? Was he afraid of the suffering of, of torture and humiliation? Or was it some other reasons. So I want you to think very carefully. Actually, if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, you can actually cheat. Uh, I mean, actually, it's better if you have your Bible, then you can, can get the right answers. This is like an open book uh, exam, you see. I, I'm, 
I, I don't ask you to close the Bible. I want you to open your Bibles up. So what is the right answer? Why was Jesus so sorrowful and troubled? Okay, you can look at your Bibles as an open book test. So obviously, some of you haven't really thought through this question very much, but why was Jesus so sorrowful and praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? What troubled him so much? Okay, so it's good to see uh, that there's a range of answers. Some of you said that he didn't want to die, 18%. Some of you said the pain of crucifixion, another 18%. Some of you said he was scared of the torture and humiliation. Okay, so that's another 28%. Uh, but what were the other reasons? What were the other reasons? Well, actually, the other reasons is the right answer. <laughs> okay, because if we go back to the passage again, we can actually see that Jesus was, as you see in this passage, really worried not so much about the crucifixion, the suffering, the humiliation, but what does it really say? It says here in this passage that he was worried about the cup. Okay, He doesn't say, take the cross away from me, but instead he says, take this cup away from me. And this cup is super duper important as we've already seen earlier on in the book of Mark. In other parts of the Bible, from the Jewish understanding, the idea of cup actually has the idea of of God's judgment, God's judgment. So in Isaiah chapter 51, it says, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, the cup of God's anger, the cup of God's judgment. You who have drained it to his dregs, the goblet that makes men stagger. Again, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, it says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath, my anger, my judgment, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send them. But if they refuse to take the cup from my hand and drink, tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. You must drink it. See, I'm beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name. Will you indeed go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, for I'm calling down a sword upon all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. Now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those that tread the, grain, the grapes and shout against all who live on the earth. The turmoil will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. So the cup is described in terms of legal language, okay, legal language. Uh, you can see that here where it talks about the idea of uh, punishment, okay, the idea of punishment. Okay, so here there's the idea of will they go unpunished, right? Will they go unpunished? And it's also legal language because he talks about how he brings charges against the nations and judgment against all mankind. So here it's like a law court 
and the cup of God's wrath is judgment upon the world because of the charges that are brought against them, the punishment that they need to endure. Now, this is something that the world does not want. This is something that people do not want. That's why it says there in verse 28, if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, see, people don't want the cup of God's wrath. People don't want the cup of God's anger. People don't want the cup of God's judgment. And that's why Jesus was suffering distress. He was suffering sorrow to the point of death. He was appalled because he didn't want to drink the cup of God's wrath. He was innocent. He was righteous. But yet he knew that when he went to the cross in a couple of hours, he would be drinking the cup of judgment for sins that he did not commit. Now, recently I was looking at the newspaper and there was a case about this woman uh, who was appearing before the judge in Singapore. And when the judge sentenced her, uh, it was reported in the newspaper that she fell down on her knees before the judge and said, this punishment is too much for me. I cannot bear it. I cannot bear it. And I think that's the same way that Jesus felt. And that's the same way we should feel before the cup of God's wrath. When it comes and when we understand what the cup of God's wrath is really about, we will fall before God and we will beg God and say, it is too much, it is too much, this punishment for us. But I think that it is more than just um, Jesus uh, being terrified about drinking the cup of God's wrath because of the punishment that will come upon him. I think there's a greater suffering that Jesus also suffers. You see, from the beginning, from eternity, sorry, not from the beginning, from eternity, uh, the Holy Trinity of God, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have been in perfect relationship. So imagine for the all of eternity, God the Father and Jesus the Son have been in perfect relationship. But Jesus knows that when he drinks the cup of God's wrath, that perfect relationship that has been in existence since, the, since eternity would actually be fractured and broken. Because Jesus would now have sinned Upon himself. And God, instead of loving him, would have to be angry with him, full of wrath against him, and judge him. And that relationship, that perfect relationship between father and son would be split and fractured. And I think that's why Jesus has sorrow, deep, deep sorrow, almost to the point of death. Because of the, the, the very next day, this perfect relationship will be split and torn apart. So recently, I've been borrowing books from the library, uh, from the internet, and I came across this book. It was just recommended to me. It's actually quite good. The National Library sends me these book recommendations as I go and look for books. And this book is called The Loss Adjustment. Uh, I knew nothing about this book. I, I just kind of saw it. And it happens to be uh, set in Singapore. If you want to borrow it, you can, you can always go to the library and borrow it like I did. And it's a really, really sad story about how uh, this woman, who is the author, 
She was living in Singapore at the time. And her daughter uh, committed suicide completely suddenly. And the book recalls how when she found out about her daughter's death, she was struck by deep sorrow, almost like she was dying of a broken heart. And I think that's what Jesus felt at the Garden of Gethsemane. He, was, he had sorrow of, of, of almost like dying of a broken heart because when he knew when he drank the cup of God's wrath, that relationship, that intimate, perfect relationship we had with Jesus, with God since eternity would be torn apart. They would be separated. Now, I think that that's the significance of what Jesus does. When he goes to the cross, he's actually drinking the cup of God's wrath. So here I've got a picture which I found on the internet, which was, I thought was really helpful, that Jesus at the cross drinks the cup of God's wrath. And as he drinks the cup of God's wrath, he is taking the most awfulest punishment on our behalf. And he is separated from God, whom he had a close relationship from eternity because of us. So as we come to this passage, uh, I want you to spend a moment just reflecting on what we have learned. Okay, so I'm going to give you a moment of silence, right? Just think of what Jesus said. He went through the desertion, the betrayal, the abandonment of his disciples in order to drink the, God, the cup of God's wrath for us. He bore terrible suffering of the cup of wrath that nobody wants to drink. He experienced separation from God the Father on our behalf. He did that for you. He did that for me. And he did that for the world. So I want you to just spend a moment and just reflect and just meditate on what Jesus has really done on our behalf. He took your cup of wrath and suffered really greatly and experienced separation from God the Father willingly, lovingly, knowingly. Now what a wonderful God we have in Jesus who would do this for us. So as we come to the end of the sermon. I'd like to finish with one last poll. Okay, so um, so this poll is uh, just to ask a question. What are some things that you that you can never do without? So can you skydive? Okay, so let me launch the poll now so you can see it. Can you skydive uh, without a parachute? Can you bungee jump uh, without a bungee? Can you deep sea dive without an oxygen tank? Can you drive a car without a steering wheel? Can you rock climb without a rope? Okay, so you all can fill it out. Just give you a second. Let me end the polling. Okay, I, I agree with uh, what you all have said. Basically, the, the, the thing you really cannot skydive, that you cannot do is to skydive without a, a parachute, I suppose. I, I guess you, it's, it's possible to drive without a steering wheel and probably to rock climb without a rope. Uh, so the reason why I shared this poll with you 
is to make you th realize that actually the one thing that you cannot do without is that you cannot face the cup of God's wrath without Jesus. Right? It's like, uh, yeah, in the same way you can't skydive without a uh, parachute. Right? Because when you face the cup of God's wrath without Jesus, that means that you will have to drink the cup of God's wrath yourself and you cannot take it. Better to bring Jesus with you because he has already drunk the cup of God's wrath on your behalf. So why drink it yourself? Why face that appalling judgment yourself when Jesus has already drunk it for you and he's already experienced separation from God on your behalf? I find the knowledge that Jesus has drunk the cup of wrath for me a great sense of peace. Because I know that whenever I do something wrong, and I do many things wrong, I always reassure myself, Jesus has already drunk the cup of God's wrath and judgment for me. So I don't have to drink that punishment for myself. And I hope that you will understand and appreciate what Jesus has done for you too. And you too will experience the peace that comes from that knowledge. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much that Jesus willingly went through the desertion of his disciples in order to drink the cup of your wrath. We pray for each and every one of us here that indeed we will truly understand what Jesus did on our behalf. That it caused him such deep distress that it appalled him. It gave him sorrow to the point of death. And as we appreciate all the more what Jesus has done for us, we will feel reassured and we will feel peace to know that Jesus has taken our cup of wrath for him, on, on himself. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.